the um, blessing for Torah reading, for, for studying Torah together. Baruch Ata Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam, Asher Kitshanu B'mitzvotav V'tzivanu La'asok B'divrei Torah. Blessed are you, source of life, our God, who makes us holy with your mitzvot and has given us the mitzvah of engaging with the words of Torah. Thanks, Ellen. This, I, I'm going to miss doing this. This has been an incredibly worthwhile thing for me to do every week, too. But I'll be, it will, it'll be good to have a break, too, and then we'll, we'll start up again in the fall with some more wonderful classes. Actually, we're going to start up in August uh, with, with classes to prepare for high holidays. This Torah portion is called Beha'alotcha, when you raise up the lights of the menorah. That's what Beha'alotcha means, when you raise up. And it is chapter 8 through 12 of the Book of Numbers, five chapters. It's a really long parsha. It's a really packed parsha. It's got as much things to discuss in it as, say, some of the ones in Genesis do, you know, like Vayera, which is, this is, Baha'u'llah is kind of like that. And of course, in our one hour, we don't have the ability to cover everything. But I do want to give you a summary, and then I'll tell you what direction my heart went in uh, today. And we'll study that, to study that way together today. But So it's really a momentous Torah portion because it, it marks the beginning of the journey from Mount Sinai. And I'm gonna give you a summary, just so you can get an idea of the breadth of this Torah portion. It starts with an instruction that, I don't know how it fits into the greater narrative exactly, but where God says to Moses, tell Aaron, this is the way to light the menorah. And I'm gonna talk about this opening once I get through the whole uh, um, uh, uh, summation, um, how to light the seven branched menorah is the first description. And then it turns to a description of how to purify and prepare the Levites for their service in the sanctuary, in the Mishkan. And uh, a discussion of how the Levites belong to God and they are the substitute for the understanding that every firstborn belongs to God. And that the, the children of Israel have offered the Levite tribe in place of every firstborn who are dedicated to service of God and to be in that sacred place. And after that description, it says, and this is, so this is my passage for today. Let me uh, read it to you. The eternal one spoke to Moses saying, this is the rule for the Levites. From 25 years of age up, they shall participate in the workforce in the service of the tent of meeting. But at the age of 50, they shall retire from the workforce and shall serve no more. So that was my passage this week. But they can, those who have passed that retirement age may assist their the fellow Levites at the tent of meeting by standing guard, but they shall perform no labor. That's my passage. So all the schlepping, you know, somebody else's turn, but I get to still like be part of things, you know, it all sounds really good to me. So I had to share that passage with you. All the all the avoda, all the schlepping, the cat, they haul, remember the Levites job, they haul everything, they do they do all the work of setting it up, taking it down. That's their job, carrying it to the next place. And then um they um uh this was my, so each year you look at the Torah and you find your passage. So that was my passage from this week's portion for this year. Okay, enough said. <laughs> then in the next chapter, it describes that the Israelites, before they set out, it says on the, in, the, in the first month of the second year, on the 14th day, they offered the first 
Passover. Um, sacrifice uh, ritual, right? In a year ago, they were leaving Egypt. And they actually did the act of the lamb and the blood on the doorpost. But now they describe one year out, they fulfill the, um, the commandment to always remember. And they celebrate Passover for the first time, which I think is a beautiful thing to reflect on. Because uh, the year before, it wasn't a celebration, remember? It was a night of terror. It was a vigil. It was, uh, but now they get to remember. As we do to this day. And then there's a description that, okay, they all celebrated. But if you are ritually un, um, um, impure, you can't partake of the Passover sacrifice. If you've come in contact with the dead, as we described last week, or anything like that. And so a bunch of folks who weren't able to participate came to Moses and said, we want to celebrate Passover too. And Moses said, huh, I never thought of that. I'll go ask God. And God says, they're right. Have something called Pesach Sheni, a second Passover every year, which we don't really do anything about today. But on the full moon of the next month, you can, so if you're like, there's a tradition, if you're on the road and you couldn't make it or you could, then you get to do it again on the full moon of the next month. And I think the way that we fulfill that these days is that a lot of us, it's like if we couldn't do it on the first night or the second night, but our family can do it on the weekend, you know, or I really like that there's all that flex in there. But the most important thing is to actually celebrate Passover. That's the most important thing. And I really like that. So there's that description. So they've done the first uh, uh, Passover. And then there's a lengthy passage, which I'm gonna, we're gonna look at together in a little bit, that describes how when the divine presence would lift up from the Mishkan, the children of Israel would pack up and journey and follow it. And when it would come to rest, there they would come to rest. And it's so it hasn't happened yet, but it's describing here's how you're gonna do it, okay? And then it, and we're gonna look at that passage in a little while. And then it describes that, that God instructs them to make two silver trumpets, these long silver trumpets that they would blast and you'd think they would blast a shofar. So there seemed to have been silver trumpet tradition and a shofar ram's horn tradition and who knows. Um, but it describes how, now when you hear this blast, it's time to, um, what's the word when an army kind of, um, muster, it's time to muster, break camp and get ready. And so it describes, the silver trumpets and the sounds they're gonna make. And then, so we've got all that set up, all that build up. And then in chapter 10, verse 11, it says, and then in the second year on the 20th day of the second month, the cloud lifted from the Mishkan and the Israelites set out on their journeys from the wilderness of Sinai and they followed until the cloud came to rest in the wilderness of Paran. They are finally on their way. And as I talked about a few weeks ago, little do we know if we haven't read this story before that tragedy awaits and that a totally unexpected life-changing trajectory awaits all of these children of Israel. But in the story, there's this grand, you know, build up and it describes how, uh, by the way, it says when the march was to begin, the first standard, the first flag to set out was the division of Judah. And in command of its troops was Nachshon, the son of Amidadab. Now, those who've heard me tell the Midrash about Nachshon being the first one to go into the sea, this is why, because he's identified as the first one to lead 
the, 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 the procession. And so presumably he would have been the first one also at the Red Sea. That's where Nachshon comes, that's where the story of Nachshon comes from. And it describes how they all set out in what order, first these tribes, and then the Levites carrying the good stuff from the tabernacle, and then, uh, then the tribe of Reuben, and then another tribe of Levites carrying the ark, and so on and so forth. And then Moses says, Moses is, well, we're not sure about Nachshon's name. A Nachash is a snake, but Linachesh, or a serpent, but Linachesh is to actually be an oracle, to divine. Uh, so he has an interesting name, doesn't he? Uh, yes. But I'm not sure what its origin exactly means. Um, okay, then the um, Moses's father-in-law makes an appearance. We haven't heard from him in ages. Now here he's identified as the name of Choval. And um, whereas he's known as Jethro in uh, the book of Exodus, another unexplained mm, occurrence in the Bible that Moses' father-in-law is identified by different names. This is the, these are the places where biblical scholars will assume modern biblical scholars will assume that there are different uh, uh, storytelling traditions and uh, lore that got merged into the collection that becomes the Torah. But I'm not gonna focus on that either, but I just wanna give you the sense of the story. And Moses asks his father-in-law to come with them and to be their eyes in the wilderness. And his father-in-law says, no, I'm gonna go back to my home and they bid farewell. And then at the end of chapter, at the end of chapter 10, it says, Vayehi bin Aaron Vayomer Moshe. Anyone who spent time in synagogue services knows that line. When the ark would set out, Moses would proclaim. Kuma Adonai, rise up, eternal one and may your enemies be scattered and your foes flee before you. And when the ark halted, when the ark rested, he would say, return, O eternal one, you who are Israel's myriads of thousands. Now, we're gonna talk about that too, but I'm gonna go on now. So that is the grand conclusion of this setting out. And then immediately, I mean, immediately in chapter 11, after the end of chapter 10, it says, the people began complaining bitterly. Um, and you'll probably remember what these complaints are. If only we had meat to eat, we remember the fish that we used to eat free in Egypt and the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions and the garlic. And now our gullets are shriveled. We have nothing at all except this stupid manna. And so it's such a come down. You know, everybody's, they got their flags, the kuma rise up, here we go. and. They can't do it. We talked about this last week. They cannot do it. And what happens then in chapter 11 of this um, amazing portion is that uh, Moses, this is the passage where Moses says, am I, did I, did I have them in my belly? Did I bear them? Did I give birth to them? Am I like their nursemaid with them suckling on me that I'm supposed to carry them through the wilderness? And then in the most, my favorite line in the Torah, he says to God, if, look, God, if it's going to be like this, just take me out and shoot me. I swear, I swear, that's what Moses says. Kill me now. This is so miserable. And um, God says, okay, 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 calm down, Moses. I'll, I'll give you some help. And, 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 Mo, and God gets 70 elders who will, as he says, some of your holy, uh, some of your spirit 
will rest on them so they can help you and relieve your burden. And uh, but meanwhile, God loses God's temper and says, but I'll show those Israelites, those children of Israel, they want me to eat in another great parental speech, because for me, this is all this is just Moses and God, just parents all the way. Moses says, just take me out and shoot me. And then God says, no, 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 it's okay. And then God says, okay, kids, you want meat? I'll give you meat. I'll give you so much meat, you're going to be sick of it. It's one of the best speeches, another in the Torah. I'll give you, you're not going to have it for a day. You're not going to have it a week. You're going to have it for a month. And, and it says, until it's coming out your nostrils. Okay. So then quail land on the camp and they have more meat than they know what to do with, et cetera, et cetera. And it's like horrible. And, you get what you ask for, okay, kids? And uh, meanwhile, the 70 elders with Moses begin to prophesy with the spirit of God. And in another very famous passage, two of the elders who weren't, no, two individuals, Eldad and Medad, who were not on the register of the elders also begin to prophesy. It's like the, the Holy Spirit kind of, leaked out and you know how could you contain the holy spirit and joshua says joshua who is moses's assistant says um you have to make them stop they're not on the list this is unauthorized and moses in that another incredibly famous uh said saying says why are you jealous and wrought up on my account would that all of God's people were prophets and that the Holy Spirit rested on all of them. Moses is an amazing character. And uh, that's the end of that passage. There's nothing, there's no consequence. It's, as far as he's concerned, great, the more the merrier. And then we get to the final chapter. I'm taking up half the class just describing the plot, which I wanted to do for you. which is, it says that Aaron and Miriam now speak up against Moses. And God comes down and says, what are you doing? Moses is my guy. You know anybody else who can lead better than him? And when God, and, and they're chasing, and Miriam, and we're not going to discuss this at length today, Miriam finds herself with tzara'at, that affliction of whiteness on her skin. And Moses says to God, please heal her. So Moses, again, why, if you could say what's going on with Moses, why are you wrought up on my account? I didn't ask for this job. I'm doing my best. I want it to work. Please. He's not, he doesn't wish Miriam ill, even though Miriam has just criticized him publicly. And he calls out to God, Elna Rafana La which is the healing prayer that we frequently use. Please, God, please heal her, please. And Miriam is healed, though according to the rules of the Mitzorah, she has to spend seven days outside the camp and they wait for her until she can be brought back into the camp. That's the whole Parsha. It's like, how do you choose what to talk about each year? So, I do what I always do, which is I go with my what's what's jump what's what's speaking to me the most right this time, and uh, there are three passages I want to link together for you, and what I want to do is today think of this as the read the Torah on its personal spiritual journey level right not so i'm not going to talk about moses's leadership or the collective journey now i'm going to go inside for each one of us if as as my dear friend rabbi shefa gold uses as her tagline in her book torah is the map you are the landscape so the hasidic interpretations of um oh yeah quarantine there's a we can go like i said there's a million things we could talk about in this torah portion um 
so first of all, let's look, think of ourselves as the focus of this story. And the first passage I'm going to share is the very beginning. I'll share the screen. There it is. Hold on, sorry for that. Ah, the very beginning of the portion. Speak to Aaron and say to him, when you mount the lamps, let the seven lamps give light at the front of the lampstand. Just that first verse. Hasidic interpreters for whom the Torah is all about the inner spiritual uh, um, adventure, challenge, activity for each person. Understand this light, Aaron, as being each of us, now, you can hear the word in there, aliyah, right? Baha'alot is to raise up. Um, and so they interpret this in the Hasidic tradition. When you lift yourself up, when you raise yourself up for services, because you are the menorah, right? And then the understanding of the of what you do by for elevating yourself is that you know we understand nair as meaning candle nair means lamp because originally it was the oil lamp and a menorah is a in would we say a candelabrum or a lamp uh, an oil lamp and an oil lamp by itself has the fuel, but not, uh, isn't a light until we light it. And so you raise up the lamps towards the front of the menorah so that they might yairu, give light. Now there's a line in Proverbs that becomes a central line of Jewish spiritual um, uh, teachings, which is, and the, the line is, ki ner mitzvah v'torah or, for the mitzvah is the lamp, and Torah is the light. And so the way our um, spiritual teachers understand this is that through do, the mitzvah, doing a mitzvah, is the carrier, the, 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 the place that the light can emerge from. And that by doing mitzvahs, we bring out the light, the divine light. Through our doing mitzvahs, the divine light shines, the light of Torah. And so the spiritual reading of this is that when you elevate yourself, for divine service, through doing mitzvahs, you shed light, divine light on the world. And I wanted to share that just as a little tidbit of how Hasidic teachers read the, the Torah. We haven't done too many Hasidic teachings this, um, this year. And now I wanna go on to, um, oh, I wanna make sure, there we go, okay. Now I wanna go on to um, about the cloud, the cloud of the divine presence. So I'm gonna to go to chapter nine, verse 15. So this is a discrete section of Torah chapter 15 through 23, nine verses. Let me read it all to you so you can hear the, um, the flavor of the language, the rhythm of the language. On the day the Mishkan, I'm gonna use Mishkan instead of tabernacle. On the day the Mishkan was erected, 
the cloud covered the Mishkan, the tent of the pact, and in the evening it rested over the Mishkan in the likeness of fire until morning. It was always so. The cloud covered it, appearing as fire by night. And whenever the cloud lifted from the tent, the Israelites would set out accordingly. And at the spot where the cloud settled, there the Israelites would make camp. At a command of yod the Israelites would break camp, and at a command of yod they would make camp. And they remained encamped as long as the cloud stayed over the Mishkan. When the cloud lingered over the Mishkan many days, the Israelites observed yod mandate and did not journey on. At such time as the cloud rested over the Mishkan for but a few days, they remained encamped at a command of Yodhe and broke camp at a command of Yodhe And at such times as the cloud stayed from evening until morning, they broke camp as soon as the cloud lifted in the morning. Day or night, whenever the cloud lifted, they would break camp. Whether it was two days or a month or a year, However long the cloud lingered over the tabernacle, the Israelites remained encamped and did not set out over the Mishkan. Only when it lifted did they break camp. On a sign from Yudhevafe, they made camp, and on a sign from Yudhevafe, they broke camp. They observed Yudhevafe's mandate at Yudhevafe's bidding through Moses. Um, The passage is very repetitive. I would say it's more, it's some, um, but the repetition as usual in Torah serves a purpose. It's poetic, like one day, two days, a month, a year. So what, I'm gonna stop sharing for a minute. I can see you better. You're welcome, by the way, if you have thoughts or comments about that, to put them in the chat, always. Um, first of all, I'm gonna take a little, let's see, this might seem unconnected at first. What do we need to, we're children of Israel and we're in the wilderness. What do we need to practice in order to stay close to God and in God's protective embrace or the light at night? What are we asked to do? It's a beautiful spiritual question. We spend much of our time, Roni says, I think the repetition is indicating that this passage is a metaphor, not real. When a cloud is overhead, take caution, rest, observe, but don't act. Nicely said. Yes, metaphor, the insight, internal light tells us when to act. Thank you. Good observations. Um, I've been thinking about how I frequently thrust myself into action, into the world, whether I do it physically or whether my busy, busy mind gets busy figuring out how I'm gonna do it, what we're gonna do, how it's gonna be solved, what, What if our center wasn't thrusting forward? What if our brain wasn't trying to take charge at all times? What if the spiritual practice of heeding the cloud 
is the practice of having a soft and resting center because we're not in charge. We need to be discerning when we're called to action. What if we don't call ourselves to action? What if being spiritually attuned is being willing to wait in a state of awareness for when we're called to break camp and move? Joan says, being mindful is centered as opposed to monkey mind, the spin that takes us away from our center. Deborah says also, it is not only what we do, but also our consciousness of the divine presence in and among us and within us that matters. Thank you both. I wanna amplify Deborah's comment. And Rob says that seems somehow to relate to Nachshan. Ah, beautiful. I'm gonna speak about that too. Creating a productive stillness, ready to act. Paul knows that from all his movement practices. This is where our powerful center is ready and we extend our movement from there, but not out of an, not with aggression, um, not aggressing. Uh, so first, Deborah, I was reading this passage. The word Mishkan, which means the dwelling place of the divine is repeated seven times in that passage. The word to dwell, God's presence will dwell is repeated three times. So seven or three or 10, the clear intent of that extended poetic paragraph is to hear the seven times that consciousness of the divine presence. When, it, when we first encounter this word, it says, build me a mishkan that I might dwell among you, dwell within you, dwell in your midst. So we are being trained to be conscious of the divine presence in and among us and within us at all times. That's our syllabus, that's our curriculum in the wilderness. That's it. <sighs> Even if we think we should be on the move, not until we pause long enough, soften our centers, extend our awareness in that interestingly broad way that allows us to remember the divine presence among us and within us. In the form of a cloud by day, and a pillar of fire by night, metaphors I love. Giving us light and warmth in the dark, giving us haven and shelter and shade in the day. Now Rob says how that seems to relate to Nachshon and you really are expanding my awareness right now with together, which is what I appreciate about this so much. Maybe Nachshon's the leader because Nachshon's ability to discern and trust the journey. Maybe Nachshon's not a, uh, not the, um, the forward guard. Maybe Nachshon is the, the, the one who can divine because Lenachesh means to divine. And now we get back to Joan's question about the word origin, to divine when it's time, to when we follow and when we rest. 
Isn't that beautiful? So of course, Nachshon's the one. He's not, Nachshon's courage of stepping into the sea in that Midrash is not because he's headstrong. On the contrary, it's because he has this practiced the trust to know that that's where we're being guided. Nachshon is the leader in that sense. So beautiful. Joan says, of course, Nachshon is laudable for his willingness to step forward in the moment. Thank you. Well said, Joan. Uh, yet Midrash says his impulse to help went awry when he stepped up to when he stepped up to each the falling ark and was killed for it, right? I don't think so, Joan. I don't know that story about Nachshon. Um, you're thinking about, um, uh, I'm forgetting his name, in the Haftorah that accompanies the portion from the story of King David. I think that's what you're thinking. That's what it is. It's from Shmini. Yeah, the Parsha of uh, the Haftorah. Yeah, Paul I got says, that. Thanks. Paul says, divine presence is amongst us. We must also remain pure in order for presence to remain. How can we remain pure in the divine and integrated into life and society? Thank you, Paul. That is the koan. That is the great question that all spiritual paths uh, try to um, not resolve, but um, give us guidance, give us a framework for. Again, I'll say in the Jewish framework, it's Shabbat as the, and, and holy times as the times when we stop from our engagement in life and society in order to remember, put ourselves back together again in concert with the divine presence. Thank you for saying it so clearly. How can we remain pure in the divine and integrated into life and society? Um, divine when it's time to act, that's right. So, that's that passage, which is going to lead me to the other passage that I want to share with you today. I'm going to share my screen again. It says, after they set off on the first march, with Nachshon in the lead, there is this interesting interjection that many of us are familiar with. Here it is, these two verses, which have what's called an inverted nun, an upside down backwards nun, bracketing it. And another class will study what that nun comes from. It's a fascinating bit of historical study. But suffice it to say that it brackets off these two verses, which are considered very important. So important that they get taken that we sing the first line when we take the Torah out of the ark in the Torah service, and we sing the last line when we return it to the ark. So it's, you can imagine how, uh, how much history there is behind these lines. Ah, um, Enid says, Gurdjieff has a powerful image of a cloud too abrasive to go through and too large to go around, necessitating watchful waiting. Yeah, I think he borrowed it. He didn't have to steal it. <laughs> but um, it's, it's when Moses goes into the Afela, Moses is the only one who actually enters the cloud because he's Moses. Everyone else, you can't do that. It doesn't work that way. It's there, but it's not accessible, but it's there. And uh, only, only someone of Moses's stature could actually enter it, meet the presence there, and then come out with the, with the Torah in his arms, right? So, okay, that's beautiful. All right, so what I was gonna say is that, what if this could also be interpreted? So it says, this is very military, right? Moses say, advance, O Lord, may your enemies be scattered, and may her foes flee before you. So it's a, it's a martial kind of, we're heading that way. And when it halted, Moses would say, return, O Lord, you are Israel's myriads of thousands. 
and alfei also means you know like um platoons or uh, whatever the right word for a military formation is um so it's very this 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 this, this very uh, sort of martial kind of call which you can interpret the blasts of the trumpets and all of that as but if this is also a spiritual journey which it seems pretty un you know irrefutable at this point to me how could we interpret these in a different way and ellen weaver shared with me from our my dear friend rabbi sheila peltz weinberg her interpretation of these lines that i want to share with you today um now sheila uh um Paul, let's see, does Rabbi Sachs distinguish between congregation and assembly? I don't know. Good question. Um, okay, so Sheila Weinberg is a colleague of mine from the Reconstructionist Rabbinical College. And um, in the last 20 years, Sheila, maybe longer, Sheila discovered mindfulness meditation, has practiced it as her primary practice, spiritual practice and has become the really one of the one of the leading teachers of incorporating mindfulness uh, uh, practices into Judaism. So, um, and she's fantastic. Sheila's great. What a sense of humor. What a, what a neshama. I love Sheila. She should live to 120. So here's Sheila's, thanks to Ellen Weaver sending this to me. Here's Sheila's take on this. I'm gonna share my screen. I think it's quite beautiful. Whoops, sorry. What happened? Can you see that, everyone? Great. So, I put the verses up here. Now imagine that when the ark sets out and the cloud lifts, we are in the way that Paul described it, being called to engage with the world. It's time to go out. And what if this, we treated this as instructions for our own spiritual awareness. At this transitional moment, Shabbos is ending and it's time to re-engage with the world, and here we once again face the unavoidable dilemma and challenge of carrying our soft hearts, our diffuse attention that allows us to perceive the cloud, to feel the holy presence amongst us. Hopefully we had a beautiful Shabbos, even if it's this little hour of our time, a beautiful Shabbos. And now we have to go engage again. This is the conundrum of being a spiritually oriented human being. How do we do it? Because some people choose to spend all their time in a cave, right? I mean, that's one option, but that's not the Jewish way. It, it never was, it never will be. The Jewish path is a path of engagement, it just is. But not just engagement, engagement and then reconnection. It's a, it's sort of a, um, that beautiful heart image of pumping and receiving. So here we are at this moment of transition. The cloud is lifting. Let, we have to get busy. Here's what Sheila says. When the ark began to move in this time of transition, fulfillment, moving toward the unknown promise, out of our comfort zones, we call out, Arise, kuma, unity of all in all, breath that contains all life. Here's what we ask. Disperse, scatter, and dissolve all that frightens us. May your enemies be scattered. Disperse, scatter, and dissolve all that frightens us, all that limits and deludes us all that distorts our view of you, all that makes us feel 
like an enemy. Dissolve these terrors like a teaspoon of salt placed in a vast basin of sweet water. Now, what I'd like to do is to read it to you again and have you just receive it. Just imagine it's time to go out. And the ark is leading us. We're not alone, but it's time to engage. And when we engage, we're going to smack up against the world again, right? Against those people, against that. We're just, just against our brain. It's all going to happen. Oh, Bonnie says it is time to engage post-pandemic. And Paul said, that's right. So maybe that's why I was drawn to it. I mean, that's what I mean. It's like, I don't know why. It's, it, I always, I trust it. And then thanks to being with you all and getting to speak about it, I get to find out maybe why I was drawn to this passage at this moment. And Bonnie says, I need a blessing for this. Paul said, Viva Zornberg says, individual ego-driven profane flames of heart rest on, rest on Shabbat. In Shabbat, full divine flame of heart allowed to rise to inspire your behavior for the coming week. So engaging post-pandemic, here we are, engaging post-pandemic. I'm gonna read it to you again. Feel free to receive this as a meditation. When the ark began to move in this time of transition, fulfillment, moving toward the unknown promise, out of comfort zones, we call out, arise, unity of all in all, breath that contains all life, and disperse, scatter, dissolve all that frightens us all that limits and deludes us, all that distorts our view of you, all that makes us feel like an enemy. Dissolve these terrors like a teaspoon of salt placed in a vast basin of sweet water. Baruch Hashem. And the second line, and when the ark would halt, he would say, return, O eternal one. And listen to this beautiful one for coming back from the overstimulation of engagement. And when the ark rests, we call out, return us again to presence, shuva, return us to stillness. From the myriad of thousands of scattered thoughts and sensations, return us from the margins to the center, to now, to here, to this. I think I have to share this with you in the chat. Let me do that. Hold on. Just a sec. All right, I'll figure that out later. I'll just do the English part. Yeah. Vayehi bin Soa Haaron, Vayomer Moshe, Kuma Adonai, Vyafutsu Ovecha, Vyanusu Misanecha, Mipanecha. 
ויהי פנסו אהרון ויאמר משה, קומה אדוני ויפוצו אויביך וינוסו משנאך מפניך. And the Torah service continues. And then when we return the Torah to the, the, Torah to the Ark, we say, And it continues from there. Blaze, it is in the chat. Sorry if this is obvious. What is Moses receiving? Uh, whatever's on those tablets. <laughs> it says that the Ten Commandments are on the tablets, Naomi, but the tradition says that in between each of those letters were myriads and myriads of, you know, so the tablets are, the tablets are like some, some uh, magic thing between the worlds. Divine download, that's right. The tablets were filled with hyperlinks to take you anywhere you needed to go once you started studying them. So that's how they sound in Hebrew, Rob. And if you look in the chat, everyone, it's in the chat. Okay. Thank you, Rabbi Sheila. Isn't that marvelous? I gained so much from that, uh, her reading. So as we go on our journey, everyone, especially as Bonnie pointed out, this going out, being soa, Aaron, as we go back out into engagement. Rabbi Ellen says, I realize I'm looking for my inner nachshon as I begin to start to think about meeting people in person, because you want to see the divine in them, right? That's what we always want to do. Shiviti Adonai Lenegdi Tamid. I place the divine awareness before me always, it says in Psalm 16. We want to go out into the world aware of the divine presence. Help us. Help us, God. Help us. Yes, I hope your spine has a good tingle, Paul. That's the, we know that's the awakening energy taking off the mask. Yes, and the couple in farms somewhere where I was yesterday, they had a sign, I was in Connecticut, and I was, I was visiting, I was picking up all Anomi, my daughter's stuff from college, and uh, I went in with the mask, and then people weren't wearing masks, and I said to the lady, can I take off my mask? If you're vaccinated, I went. That was a nice feeling. We're gonna take off our masks, when we feel safe, the literal or the figurative, and meet, go meet the world. Okay, everybody, thank you for that.